0: Welcome to Alumni Voices, a podcast from the University of Oxford. I'm Guy Colander and every month we speak to a former Oxford student about their memories of their alma mater and life after Oxford. In this podcast we hear from Baroness Shepherd of Northwold about her high-profile career at the heart of government and her interests in education and politics. After working as a teacher and school inspector in Norfolk, elected office beckoned for Gillian Shepherd. In 1987, she became an MP, and in 1992 she entered the Cabinet. She held several senior government positions, including Secretary of State for Education and Employment. In 2005, she became a life peer. I spoke to Baroness Shepherd in the House of Lords only days after the EU referendum. Parliament was exceptionally busy as a result of the vote to leave, so please excuse the background noise and the division bell. I began by asking Baroness Shepherd about her experiences at Oxford, where she studied French and Latin at St Hilda's College.
1: I just think that going to Oxford transformed my life in a way that I would not have believed possible. Um, Oxford was the most extraordinarily wonderful, broadening experience. It was everything that I had hoped for and much more, because obviously coming from a tiny village Um, very isolated in the northeast of Norfolk. I had just no idea how exciting it would be, for example, just to have access to so many people uh, of a like mind, to be able to walk to the cinema, to be able to walk to hear a concert, to be able to walk to lectures. Um, It was, in every possible way, um, from the point of view of scholarship, from the point of view of learning, from the point of view of culture, and indeed from the point of view of social activities, um, it was a revelation and I plunged in with enormous enjoyment,
0: Fantastic! A huge Good. amount out of it. And aside from your academic work, what other activities absorbed your attention while you were a student?
1: Well, I did a lot of music, I um, performed in a number of choirs, I had a lot of friends who either sang... Um, or were soloists, musical, um, instrument players, so there was a lot of music, and I have to say it was a lot of socializing, and not just um, outside the college, but within the college as well, and I made close friends, uh, whom I keep to this day, and that is another wonderful thing about Oxford.
0: And what was it like to be a student in the late 1950s and swinging 60s, if I may ask?
1: (laughs) Well, you can ask that because I came down in 1961 and the swinging 60s had not been invented. Right, right. Nor indeed had the Beatles. (laughs) And uh, therefore, I would say your question really ought to be like what was it like to be a a student in the post war era? Sure, sure. That was how it felt. Mm. At home, I came from an environment where we've only recently had electricity, and even more recently, running water. Um, There had been rationing until, I suppose, 1955. Um, We found everything hugely satisfactory, uh, at the college, of course. But looking back, uh, it was pretty primitive. I had a a Jewish friend uh, who had to have the vegetarian meals and these often (laughs) comprised a lump of cheddar cheese, gravy and the vegetable, extraordinary. It was light years away uh, from how things are now and light years from the sweet 60s Right. and on that subject incidentally, um, by the time I'd started working I taught for a couple of years then I went into a number of educational and administrative jobs and I enjoyed these so much uh, and really absolutely wanted to do them every minute of the day that I didn't particularly notice the swinging 60s either. By the time I did they were over.
0: As you said you've worked initially within education uh, and then actually moved on to Anglia Television before seeking elected office.
1: It began to occur to me that it would be really rather interesting to see where the decisions were taken, uh, namely Westminster. And it was then that I decided to have a go.
0: And politics had always been an interest?
1: I'd always been more interested, really, in the way things were run, how services were delivered, who Um,
0: were the leaders
1: and shakers who took the decisions. Those were the things that always interested me, the sort of structures, really. And uh, that also interested me when I decided to go into national politics because I used to think, who is making these decisions that affect what we want to do at local level? How interesting it would be to see what is motivating them and what they're doing at national level? So it was, it was about the way things worked as much as anything.
0: You were elected MP for South West Norfolk in 1987 and your career went from strength to strength within the Conservative Party. You became a minister in 1989 and then entered the Cabinet in 1992 as Employment Secretary and Britain's first minister for women's issues. You were later Minister of Agriculture and Secretary of State for Education and Employment from 1995 to 1997. What was it like working in the corridors of power during those years?
1: Well, it was extremely hard work. An 18 hour day was routine. Um, The work in one's department, of course, was hugely um, absorbing and engulfing of the whole of your life. And when you got home, clearly, you also then had your constituency work to do, which I loved, and your family responsibilities. So, uh, what I remember is the hard work. I remember an enormous amount of good fun, um, very good colleagues and a lot of solidarity within the Cabinet. And I also um, remember the excitement of having to learn huge amounts um, about the departments in which I served uh, in a very quick time. Uh, You know, cold towel round head Mm. syndrome. I remember all of that. Um, But we were so busy. It passed in a flash. Mm. And I really wonder now if that is the same for ministers today, I suspect it is. And whether it would be better if things were a little more leisurely so that one could think, have more thinking time. Right. You do not, I didn't find, I found that you really didn't have thinking time. And you know, if you really consider that point, that is not so good for running a country you ought to have more time for reflection
0: and especially when you're moving from department to department yes
1: yes and you need to have more time on the strategic issues
0: Mm. what was your proudest achievement in government
1: Um, i think where i was doing new and groundbreaking work was when I had my first cabinet post as Secretary of State for Employment with responsibility for women's issues. Because there I was able to be creative, I was the first minister to have done this. It meant that one could listen carefully to what women wanted um, and to start to put in place sounding board exercises and then some policies. This was very exciting and I feel we made a difference. And looking back, I see that What I enjoyed very much was the creative side of policy making, rather than, as you might say, the inheritance side, taking on policy that others have made and then carrying it through perhaps the legislative process. Obviously, it's more interesting and probably more worthwhile if you are thinking something out de novo
0: and carrying it through. And you've worked... um uh, a great deal on social mobility as well for the government and universities and uh, Oxford in particular they offer that opportunity for social... They mobility.
1: do and Oxford, while never forgetting that a purpose of the university is the advancement of learning and scholarship it has done some of admirable things with uh, summer schools, working with the Southern Trust um, outreach in given areas of the country and indeed partnerships with individual schools, Oxford um, has done very, very creditably while maintaining, of course, its uh, very, very high levels of scholarship.
0: And you've written about the mirage like quality of political power in your memoirs, Shepherd's Watch. In it, you also say the only legitimate source of political power is the ballot box, and that is something that we've seen very recently in the last few days with the British people voting to leave the EU. What political developments do you predict in these? Uncertain times ahead.
1: Oh, I only wish I knew. <laughs> Everybody is asking themselves the same question at the moment: um, What is very? There are two things that are very clear. One is that the people have spoken. Um,
0: is it something that you anticipate?
1: Yes, I did. I thought that, that I I voted to remain, but I thought that there would be that the uh, those who wanted to leave would win. And the other, less pleasant thing is that I think there will be a diminution of trust um, in the political process as a result unless those who lead the Leave campaign now deliver on the promises that they made during the campaign. These were very clear. More money for the NHS promises on migration, that there would be an immediate reduction in migration from the EU. It's not so much a question of those who made the promises if they break them, losing face. It is that the whole political class will be in disgrace if that referendum were won on the basis of promises that are
0: not kept. And we're seeing now a blurring of party lines, an uncertainty and political fever. I mean, how does that compare to some of your years in government and things that you've seen over your long-standing interest in politics
1: well one of the periods i enjoyed the most in um, in british politics was the period when the conservative party were in coalition with the liberal democrats from 2010. i was by that time in the house of lords and i found it Admittedly it's rather a collegiate place anyway in the House of Lords, but I did find it rewarding, interesting to work with people whose political formation had been quite other, uh, who sought other solutions to particular policy problems. And I greatly valued the rough edges being knocked off some of uh, the government's policies by the coalition partners. Um, it was a good period. and. I don't know what is likely to happen at the moment as part of the fallout after the referendum, but it certainly seems as if the two main political parties are going to take a little time to recover their confidence, collaborative spirit. And it could be that we will see in the future more perhaps coalition type arrangements working across the political spectrum. I have to say that uh, almost every voter I've ever talked to wants a coalition. They always say, why can't you all get together? We hate um, this argument, You know, shouting at one another, we cannot bear it for the good of the country, why can't you get together more? Um, I'm not sure they really love the coalition when it actually happened, (laughs) in fact. But it is what people constantly say on the doorstep, they still do. And if as a result of the huge upset we just currently see in British politics, there's more collaboration, I think it would be welcomed
0: by the electorate. And obviously a huge impact on universities as well, Oxford included.
1: Well, um, exactly so, and we've had very strong warnings from the Chancellor and indeed the Vice-Chancellor and from the Russell Group and all academic institutions um, there will be almost certainly a damaging effect on the funding of universities and ability for young people to share um, higher education experiences across Europe however I think we've got to remember that scholarship is in fact totally international it's not just concerned with Europe I believe scholarship triumphs anyway in the end but it will be a slightly difficult period from the point of view of funding for a little while.
0: In staying with Oxford, you've served as the chair of Oxford University's Alumni Board. How have you seen the university's engagement with alumni change since you've been involved with the Alumni Board from 2009 onwards?
1: Well the main thing of course is the Alumni Weekend. Um, And before I was chair of the Alumni Board I was a member of the council of the university. And I was actually there when John Hood, when he was Vice-Chancellor, actually described the idea and the Council decided to go for it. I believed it was the right thing for Oxford to do and my word how right that has proved. I just think the annual showcasing of what the University is doing, its sheer reach internationally um, and its standing for all of those things Um, to be displayed to the alumni and to others through the means of the alumni weekend is terrific.
0: been your highlights over the years at the Alumni Weekend? Oh, Too um, many to count? There
1: are too many to count. The sessions that I've enjoyed perhaps the most have been the ones outside my own academic comfort zone, for example, in astrophysics right. or um, even mm-hmm. statistics, uh, and I have chosen to attend a number of um, areas uh, which, which are strange to me, but I believe that is the whole purpose of the weekend, wonderfully centred on and centred in Oxford.
0: Your role at Oxford has once again brought you together with former colleagues and friends, including Lord Patton of Barnes, the university's chancellor. You worked with Lord Patton in government and you were actually contemporaries at Oxford as well. How does it feel to continue your links with former colleagues and friends through your joint connection with the university?
1: Well, it has been the most immense pleasure, joy, really, and privilege to work with Chris Patton again. Chris Patton is an outstanding human being. He is a colossus of learning, um, of experience, of knowledge, of self-deprecation, and indeed of humour.
0: Baroness Shepherd, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts about Oxford education and politics. For more information about this year's Alumni Weekend, and more episodes of Alumni Voices including with Lord Patton please visit www.alumni.ox.ac.uk